Hello, hello. Good morning, everybody. How are we doing? Hey, Roger. On the front row. <laughs> it's, good for, uh, it's good for us to be here. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad you're here. And I feel like that um, God has put a desire in all of our hearts to find Him, a desire to know Him, a desire to be led by Him. Otherwise, we would be in our bed still sleeping or having coffee or who knows what, at the lake. There are many things. But yet, inside us, God has made us. And in His own image and inside of us, He's made us with a need and a desire to be connected with Him and, and to be governed and, and led by Him. And as we walk more and more with God every day, we find our pleasure and our treasure in Him. We find our life in Him. Being in Christ, like a, an apple tree produces apples, and you know, it's not like... It's not like on a schedule trying to crank out apples. You know, have you ever sat under an apple tree and heard it, you know, grunt and grind and, oh, apples, apples, apples. It doesn't do that, right? It just, it just like apples. You know, I mean, remember the old guy that was sitting on the tree and the apple fell on his head and he goes, wow, gravity, you know? <laughs> the apples just come because it's an apple tree. And we as Christians have to learn a different lifestyle, a lifestyle that is in Christ where the fruit uh, is just there. It's just, it's just because God no longer wants us to look at the tablets of stone, but He wrote the Word in our hearts so that we might, we need not man teach us, but that the, the life of God lives out through us. It's kind of the difference. I remember when I was first saved, I was trying to evangelize, you know, and I got the scripture, you know, be the light of the world. And you know, let the light shine. Well, I wasn't letting the light shine. I was shining my light. And there's a difference in shining your light and letting your light shine. It's totally different. And it's kind of, you learn the more you grow in the Lord that if anybody wants the world to be saved, it's God. I mean, if you want your kids saved, think about how much love God has for your kids. And if we would just rest and get off the backs of our kids, a lot of times, they're coming to God. They're seeking God. They're pursuing God. A guy told us last night of a story about, uh, this lady, about this lady that had a kid that was just in total rebellion. And she went into the pastor and said, Pastor, will you pray for my kid? You know, he's this and he's that. And, well, what, is he, uh, what, do you want? what do you want out of your son? Well, I want him to quit living for the devil and he's you know, drinking and all this crazy stuff. And he goes, well, there's no use of me. He shut his Bible. He goes, well, no use of me praying for your son. And she goes, what are you talking about? Why? Well, you're so negative. I bet everything you say to him is condemnation and guilt. I bet you just, I, I, how can I speak hope and life and salvation to your son when you're just probably hammering every time? So she said, what do you want me to do? Just pray for him. Seek him. Pray for him. Seek God and pray for your son that he would experience God. So she changed her whole, she had a complete paradigm. She changed her whole focus and view. She started just, praying for him, and said, hi, son, you know, this, that, and the other. Anyway, one next Sunday, a couple Sundays later, he goes, uh, gets up early, and she's getting ready for church, and says, mom, you going to church? And she goes, yeah, well, of course, she's doing, he said, I want to go with you. She's doing backflips inside, but she just said, okay, you, yeah, you can go. And uh, went to church next week, mom, you going to go to church? Yeah. And went to church, and then walked the aisle, and got saved, accepted the Lord. But it's, it's a dynamic of expecting God to do a work inside of our loved ones. 
and not try to shine a light. I, I'm good at that. But anyway, I want to read a verse. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. And all this is from God, who has reconciled us, us to himself by Christ Jesus. And he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Now, I want to stop right there and say, can you imagine the glorious gospel that it is Christ in us, the hope of glory that it is Christ producing in us life, and then immediately, in the same sentence, and he has given us this ministry of reconciliation. Immediately, it's not just about being saved, but it's we have a ministry of reconciliation. Just think about that for a minute and just remember that. The wit that God um, was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. He was not imputing or not, um, what do you call it, counting their sins or their trespasses against them. God was not counting their sins against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. That is good news. That is good news. Verse 20 says, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. Here comes the pump you up, get you ready to share your faith. We are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray that in Christ, Steve, be ye reconciled to God. For he has made him who has... Who, uh, to be no sin for us, who he has made, he has put our sins on Christ. Christ took our sins on our behalf, and that we might be made the righteousness of God. He has given us righteousness for our sins. He exchanged our robes, our filthy robes, for the robes of righteousness. He has given us life for our death. And this is the message. This is what he sent us to do. Now, in this country, as well as in Guatemala, that may mean a whole different thing. It may be different ways of uh, ministering that. But I remember that um, the disciples, when they saw Jesus praying for a long time and finally he came out, he goes, Lord, teach us to pray. Remember what he said in his prayer, Our Father who art in heaven? In that prayer, he said, he said pray, he's telling the disciples, now pray that God's kingdom will come on earth as it is in heaven. God's desire is that his kingdom his glorious kingdom will come to the earth. And he's telling his disciples to pray that. Uh, 1 John 3.8. You know what 1 John 3.8 says? It's really cool. The purpose, it says, For this purpose the Son of Man was manifest, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Christ came to destroy the works of the devil. And you see him coming, he's teaching his disciples to pray that God's kingdom will come, that his will would be done. Uh, it says in Luke 4.18, when Jesus first got up after you know, he started his ministry, he, he, he rolls out the scrolls and he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. The poor, I would, I would assume that what it meant with those that are humble, those that are broken, those that are hungry, those that are thirsty, those that are needy, those that desire and can't obtain. Proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. Remember that. Freedom for the prisoners. And the recovery of sight for the blind. 
to set the oppressed free. That's what Christ came to do. The Spirit of the, of the Lord was, was anointing him to do that. In Guatemala, that might mean something totally different than here. I know that when we, Rocky and I, we pitched a tent on top of a mountain. And what God called us to this mountain where there's no roads, no electricity, no anything, savage natives with machetes, you know, in little bamboo huts. And when we first went there, we just said, God, just if you want us to be here, we'll come here. We will live here. We will, we'll pitch a tent, buy a tent, pitch a tent, buy a saw, cut trees. Out. We'll do it. But I just wanted God to say, do it. And you know, God wouldn't do that. He wouldn't, he wouldn't, three days we prayed. And I just asked God, just say it. I'll do it. And he just would like, I'll bless you no matter where you go. You can go to Miami. <laughs> you can go to New York City. If you want to start a church, I'm going to bless you. That's not the issue. And I, I was frustrated. Because I just wanted God to say, do it. And, and he wouldn't do it. And finally, he, just, he did show me that you can go to Miami, I'll bless you, wherever. But if you come to this mountain, if you don't come to this mountain and you come back in 20 years, this place will be exactly like it is today. They're on the list of extinction. They're dying off. It's just imploding. It's just destructive. It's, it's, like a, it's like breeding souls for eternal damnation. It's fallen off the, the wheel of evolution. And they're multiplying as they go down with no light and no gospel. If you come back in 20 years, it'll still be the same place, if there's anything left. So based on that and a lot of prayer, I still, I still prayed and the sun would go down, the clouds would lower down in the valley and the mountaintops would be sticking through the clouds. And I'd look across vast darkness. And I said, Lord, you know, I'm all about people. I said, there's not enough people on this mountain for me to justify living in this mountain. So I went, I was kind of negative. I went to my wife to tell her, you know what, I, I don't think we should come up here. And when she saw me walking up, she lit up like a, she lit up, she smiled. Oh, we can put the church over here and the school over there and the clinic. Oh, this is the opportunity of a lifetime. <laughs> I'm like, oh, no. So I went off and I prayed again. I said, God, are you sure? And... And I'm praying, and I felt like the Lord showed me a staircase really wide at the base, and it went up like this, and went up into the clouds. And it was cobblestone, and it was beautiful, and it was awesome. And it was, you know, just so cool. And God said, this is your ministry in Guatemala. And I'm like, whoa, that's awesome. You know, that is cool. And I felt really kind of proud of that, you know, the staircase and all that. And right in that, God stopped me and said, no, 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 no. You must understand, the staircase is me. I'm the staircase. He said, look about halfway up there, that little rock in one of the steps on the side of the step, not even on the top, on the side of the step, that little rock, that's you. I'm the staircase. (laughs) And then he said, are you willing to be that one little rock for me? And, you know, I just had to say, you know what? It's not about how many people. It's just about finding God's heart and living the life, allowing the light of God to shine. It may be a whole different ballgame in this country. Uh, you know, it may be different how you share your, your light here. But to give you an example, I know this sweet little granny that we're in the, I'm driving a car because I'm scared that we're not going to make it to the restaurant. So I'm driving the car and I'm in the inside lane. And she goes, pull over, pull over. And I'm like, I can't. The light's turned green. I can't. Pull over. She literally almost grabbed the wheel and pulled the car over. And I'm like, all right, all right. So I pull over. What? She goes, there's a, there's a street person over there. And I'm like, okay. 
And, and so, and she gets out, she goes to the back. She says, help me, help me. So we open the back of her car. She pulls out the most awesome little bag of groceries that she had gone to the grocery store shopping. And in her mind, the, the person needed wet wipes and bottled, bottled water and a few really nice things. And she, and she had a little devotion in there. And she picks up this bag and she said, I went shopping. I was hoping God would let me find somebody. Now, I don't want to pay any conviction on y'all, but that convicted me to my bone. Get a job! <laughs> but this lady went shopping. And then there's this head, so I'm like, all right, let's get the bag. I'm, I'm rolling up my sleeves. I'm going to have to take this guy out if he hurts her. She goes, oh, you're going to ruin it. If you go there, you're going to ruin it. Just stay over here. I'll go over there by myself. I'm like, great. Now he's going to kill her on the side of the road. I'm going to be calling 911 as I jump over the bush to try to save her. And every now and then I peek over the hedge to see how she's doing. And first she's talking, and then she's showing the bag. And then I look over, and she's got him down on his knees, and he's accepting Jesus. The same lady, we're out two years later. We're at this restaurant, and this waitress comes over, and this waitress, uh, you know, is busy and got a lot of tables and stuff, and, and this lady just reached over and took her by the hand and says, do you know Jesus as your Savior? She goes, I used to know Jesus. And she starts to talk to her, I want to tell you about it, and she goes, I've got this table, I've got to take care of, I'll be back, please, I'll be right back. So she goes, takes her table, she runs back over there, and she's talking. She says, I used to be a Christian, and my whole life fell apart, and all this stuff. And I, I left God. I left Him. And, you know, the thoughts, of the thoughts of the prodigal son and all that. Left God. This lady reaches on her neck, and she takes her necklace off. It's a gold necklace with a diamond cross. Ten or twenty diamonds. And she puts it on her neck. And she says, I don't have a ring like the prodigal son's father did. But I want to give you this. Another lady I know went in a restaurant. And the reason we started doing, uh, well, and these soldiers came in with their wives and tells the waitress, I want to pay for their meal. It's ten or $150, $200 for their meal. Pays for all of their meals and says, tell them God bless you. Well, the soldiers knew who it was. And when, as I came up to thank her, she began to cry and say, I know your life is hard. I know that you can't figure everything out. And where you are, you're out there doing stuff that you never would have done. And, and you're doing it. I want you to know that God loves you. And God wants to bless you. A couple of weeks ago, we were trained by some rangers, uh, active rangers that are working in Afghanistan, and they were doing medical training for, for bodies exploding, machete wounds, whatever, stopping. So we were being trained, and one of them just told me, he says, you know, Michael, he says, this year, this year, he says, we've had over 200 suicides in the soldiers. He said, never in the history of our nation have we had such suicide rate. He said, it's confusing when nothing's definite, nothing's defined, and they get over there and they don't know why they're there. They don't know if we have their back. They don't know. But you see, God knows. 
And God wants to use his church to share his light and his love. Just to take a soldier that's in line and buy his coffee at Starbucks. Just to reach out and touch somebody and love them. That is why we're here. That is the, earthen, the heavenly treasures that we have in earthen bodies. It's to be like Christ. You know, in the, in the village, uh, we built a cabin on that mountain after a while. We built the cabin. We cut trees down, literally made, made a mission base. And then we took the tent. We dismantled the tent. We put it up on the inside of the house at a tent roof. And we're in there, and Rocky gets out of the tent one morning. Man, it sure is dark in there. So I go grab the chainsaw, crank it up. Where you want your windows? <laughs> it cut holes in the wall. And we made windows. And as soon as, soon as we got in and hunkered down in this little cabin, they started bringing the sick to us. They started bringing them with bamboo poles and hammocks, dying. And people would carry them for hours through the mountains. And we put them on IVs and we treated them. We had them lined up in our little house. And we went through cholera. And then the, after that, an epidemic of measles where the malnourished kids, the secondary effect of measles is, is lung infection from the high fevers. And the, and the measles would kill the, would kill the children. So we're running from hut to hut. Do you have any sick kids? Yeah. We give them injections. All they needed was an injection of penicillin. We, we disinjected them. We just went from hut to hut. Two, two alive, one dead. Two dead, one alive. And we injected everybody. And we stopped the wave after wave after wave. Well, we'd start... Finally got in that hut, and it took us a while to build that house. It took us a while. But I finally got in that house, and there I am with my Bible, and I'm pacing back and forth. I'm ready to preach the gospel. I'm ready to preach the gospel. I'm ready to preach the gospel. God, I'm ready to preach the gospel. I'm ready. Now I'm going. I got the house. Check. Now I'm ready to go. And God said, you ready to preach the gospel? Yep. You ready to preach the gospel? Yep. Then put your Bible down. Get your chainsaw back out. And go cut firewood for the widows. Go help the widows. I'm like, no, Lord, I've been working with that chainsaw. I'm ready to put the chainsaw down and get the Bible out. I didn't know it. But at that time, everybody in the entire lineage were illiterate. I'm the, in their eyes, I'm the Martian on the mountain that moved into their world. I'm the Martian. And now I'm going to go from hut to hut and shake my book at them that they don't even know. It only has one good use for them. And it's not to find God. <laughs> If you know what I mean. So I'm ready to preach the gospel. God, and God says, you ready to preach the gospel? Well, okay, it might not look what you think it does, but put it away and get your chainsaw out. Well, flash, 10 years later, we still don't know if anybody's saved. We don't know if anybody's We're still working. Okay, folks, open your Bibles back to the beginning when he said, thou shalt not kill. I know it's been a long, hard road to get to understand the whole complexity of that verse, but we cannot kill anybody. We can't kill each other, our neighbors. We can't, we can't kill. Ten years later, we're working on thou shalt not kill. Forget salvation. We haven't even gotten past thou shalt not kill yet. We're like, we go to these conferences in the States and these missionaries get up. Well, I've got 35 churches going. I've got 16 denominations going. I'm telling all these fantastic stories. Had a crusade and 2,000 souls came to Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Can I get an amen? And I'm like, I get up. Well, folks, I've been there 10 years. So I don't think anybody's saved yet. <laughs> but I'm still alive. <laughs> so 15 years into it, you know, 
we finally got a, a little group of guys that we think are saved. <laughs> and we're going to the next village and we're preaching. And they're up there preaching and they're saying, you can't get drunk and kill each other, you dirty thieving natives. And I'm like, hold it, hold it, time out. <laughs> come here, come here. So I call him over and he comes over. Yeah. I said, is that what I told you when I came to your village? No. What did I tell you? That God loves you? That, that God will forgive you? Yeah. And that God wants to live you? Right? Yeah. Okay. All right. Hey, get back up. I was just like you. I murdered no good lying thief. But God saved me and God changed my heart. And he starts preaching to these natives. And uh, then he, then he kind of looks at me a couple times and he walks over and he goes, he goes, I have to tell him, can I tell him the story about when y'all first came to our village? From our side, from our perspective. I said, sure, go ahead. So uh, he gets up there, he goes, you know, when they moved in, they pitched a tent. They were Martians from another country, another place. We didn't know why they were there, but we heard about the conquistadors that came a few hundred years ago, and they took away our lands, and they killed our forefathers, and we thought for sure, here they are again. <laughs> he said, then you confirmed our worst nightmare. You start feeding our children. And we thought, oh my God, they're fattening up our kids to eat. <laughs> We thought for sure they were going to make soup out of our kids or soap or sell our children and take our land. We just knew it. So all of the men would get together. We would talk about how to kill you and how to eliminate you. We got together for three years to make a plan on how to kill you. And I'm sitting there going, (laughs) God bless ignorance. For three years, we thought they were going to kill us. And every time one of our, right, Thursday night, Friday we're going to kill them. Thursday night, our wife would get deathly sick. We'd take him to the mission and you would sweep him off the mountain and put him in the hospital. And I'd run around saying, don't kill him tomorrow because I got my wife down somewhere. I don't know where. <laughs> we went to a hut and picked a child up that was full of pneumonia. And I put it in my baby's, in Tiffany's car seat. And I said, I can't help your child here, but I've got to get him to, to this hospital with oxygen and, and all this stuff. So I'm driving through the night, four-wheeling off of the mountain and down across the country. And the baby would quit breathing, and I'd have to reach back and shake the baby seat to get it to the gas for air just to keep it alive. Three, four hours later, I make it to the hospital. I run in the hospital, and they say, don't bring that baby in here. We don't have any doctors at this time of the night. Bring it back in the morning. I said, ma'am, if I take this baby, it'll die. We can't receive it. We have no doctor on staff at 3 o'clock in the morning. I went to three hospitals. The third hospital, I said, you've got to accept this baby. You know what to do. Do it for the love of this baby. If you don't, this baby's going to die. Finally, the lady took it in, put an oxygen you know, mask on it and IV, and, and I don't know what all she did to it. But the baby had to stay in the hospital, the nutritional center, for six weeks before we took it back home. And... The kid, when, when he got out and he was ready to go home, we bought him some little blue jeans and little rubber boots and put rubber boots and a little, new hat on him and took him back to his parents and said, here's your child. And this went on for three years while they were planning on killing us. So we developed, at that point when I heard this, we developed a whole new motto and a new strategy. Our motto is, give them a reason not to kill you before you try to convert them. (laughs) Give them a reason 
This might work in Orlando. Give them a reason not to kill you before you try to convert them. It works for us. Oh, by the way, now 25, 30 years later, 30 years later, now all our little pastors are having revivals. There's churches on all the mountains. There's home groups that they walk three hours to get to and they preach to a little group where they're starting other churches. It's not our gospel. It's not the American Martian from the other planet with a black book. It's their gospel. It's their religion. It's their church. It's their life. And they're sharing. So it took a lot longer than what we thought. One time uh, when these natives were going to kill me, I got very uncomfortable for the next few nights. And literally, literally, I would hear the old house that we threw up on the wood house and nails and tin roof. It would creak and pop and rattle all night long. And I'd hear and I'd, I'd literally crawl from bed to bed from my children's bed with a pistol in my hand and, and pitch black and make sure my kids were, not, were still in bed and that no one came through the house and killed us. And it was very scary. And I can remember uh, I grabbed out of my ch- children's bedroom uh, the story about uh, Robertson. No, what was that? Robertson Crusoe and I read in there I'm reading that little children's book and it's part where uh, he was doing great after he finally got used to being on the island by himself he did great he had a little garden going pineapples and coconuts and ha- had a hammock probably he was doing pretty good but, but then all of a sudden he saw a footprint and he, he, it put him in a cave in fear and he was scared and he didn't want to come out because he, he, he was fearful and God said that's you you're living in fear and, you know, then one night I'm, I'm in my room and I'm pacing back and forth. God, they're going to kill me. They're going to kill me. What's going to happen to the churches? What's going to happen the, to the ministry? What's going to happen, God, they're going to kill the missionary? And God strongly encouraged me. He said, don't worry. He said, if they kill you, I'll send another missionary. <laughs> that's easy. Don't worry. And I'm like, God, that's not exactly what I wanted to hear. But I guess that will work. I mean, actually, the Bible talks about that pretty much consistently. But reality is, if we'll just embrace the things of God and live the life of God in us, God has an incredible, incredible life for us. But we have to, we have to engage with God. And that's not like some Romans wrote or four spiritual laws or 12 steps to being a successful Christian or a prosperous Christian. The whole gospel, you know why we can't come up with a formula? I found in 30 something years of ministry, I found there's only one formula. There's only one equation. And that formula is there are no formulas. There are no formulas for healing. There's no formulas for prosperity. It's all a bunch of carnality. It's all about self-introspection, how to get delivered, all that stuff. All you need is to be in the vine. In the vine, in Christ. The gospel is set up to work outwardly from the inside out. Christ in us, the hope of glory. For us, remember, that's how we started this whole deal. God saved us from ourselves. Gave us his life. And now, if my, 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 my viewpoint is just floor it. Go as fast and hard as you can. Eventually, you're going to hit a wall. But until you do, it is a ride that you will never regret. It is awesome. But you got to just go for it. I... I was, uh, we were mixing concrete a few nights before we left Guatemala just a couple weeks ago. We were mixing concrete with a mixer and we're loading sand and rock and water by hand in buckets. And then the teenagers and, and the ladies are taking the buckets 
as it's coming out of the mixer and they're making a chain all the way to the second floor to the pour on the, on the beams up in the air. And the, and the guys are filling these beams. And we work all into the night. It's dark and then it starts pouring down rain and we can't stop. We're pouring concrete. You can't stop. So we're just working and working, 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 working. And I reached down to get a bucket and, and I pulled something in my back. And I'm like, oh man, I can't have my back go out. I can't do this. So then it slowed me down just a little slowed me down and God spoke to me like maybe not as intense as this maybe 10 times in my entire life as he did right then he spoke to me something and what he said to me was I've lived my life I've run the race I've fought a fight now the next chapter has to be to encourage my body to pick up the torch and run the race. To engage, take the hand of God. And I believe with all my heart that his message to the church, to you, is that to believe, to believe with all your heart that God wants to manifest himself through you in your life. You don't have to be a missionary and go to Guatemala. You don't have to be a preacher and preach out of the pulpit. But just live your life, whatever that might be. And then I get here and he shows me this analogy and it's Acts chapter 12. It's the first 11 verses. James was killed by Herod and then he had Peter and James. He killed James. The Jews went wild. So he thought, that's awesome. I'm going to kill Peter too, but wait. I need to wait till after the fiesta. I need to put him in prison and keep him, but I'll bring him out right after they get through with their fiesta and then I'm going to kill Peter too. So Peter's in this prison, right? Peter's, it says here, I'm going to read it. It says, now about, the, uh, about that time, Herod the king uh, stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church. And he killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. And when Herod would have brought him forth the same, the same night, Peter was sleeping a little bit further down. He put him in jail, and it says when uh, that same night that Harold was going to pull Peter out and kill him too, he says Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. He was bound in chains, and the keepers before the doors kept the prison. And God showed me a perspective of this. There were 16 men assigned to Peter to keep him alive so that he could bring him out and make a public show of killing him. So he's got all these men assigned to him to keep him alive in prison, chained. And here he is, chained prisoners on both sides in a prison. And God spoke to me and showed me something. It was kind of metaphorically, it's like, that's where a lot of us wind up in the body of Christ. A lot of us wind up, we don't, no one knows that, because it's not, it's a metaphor. It's not a real jail. It's not real chains. They're not real soldiers. But the soldiers sit there just to make sure you don't get any ideas about escaping. If you come up with any ideas and any strike of hope at all that maybe you can rise up and live for God, you've got all these voices saying, no, you can't. You'll never overcome. You'll never get out of here. In fact, just be quiet. Your sentence is already given. Just be still. That's what the guards are for. The chains are there 
the chain of despair, the chain of fear, the, 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 the bondage of maybe addictions, maybe something that you just can't overcome. They're not visible chains, but you know they're there. And if you ever think, maybe I will just start living for God, that devil says, you know who you are. You'll never live for God. You can never overcome this. Just be quiet. And then the angel of the Lord came. And this is what happened. Um, Verse 7, it says, And behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him. The light shined in the prison. And he smote Peter on the side. And he said, Rise up. Arise up quickly. And immediately, his chains fell off. Immediately, the chains fell off. He didn't unlock his chains. He didn't saw through his chains. He didn't gnaw through his chains. The chains fell off at the call of God. And the angel said to him, Gird thyself, bind on your sandals. So he did. He obeyed. And he said to him, Put your garments on and follow me. And when they were uh, past the first and the second ward, that's all these guys speaking voices, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city. So the angels leading him out. This is Peter. Leads him out, and there's the iron gate. From the inside, the iron gate represents hopelessness, confinement. You'll never be out of here. You'll never change. You'll never overcome. But from the outside, God looks through those bars and he sees a Gideon. And he sees a David. And he calls you forth to rise up and believe in the power of God that's in you. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. But you have to believe. You have to rise up. Don't spend the rest of your life sitting there. Between the guards, chained and bound with the iron gate in front of you. Allow the voice of God to call you out. He is speaking life. He has bankrupt heaven. He is calling us out. He is calling this church like never before. He is going to start a revival that's going to cross this land. It looks hopeless. Our nation looks hopeless. Our military looks hopeless. The whole world's about to explode. But God's about to ignite a fire in His church. God is about to ignite a fire in His church. But we have to be willing. We have to, be, we have to accept it. We can't allow defeat and fear and failure to, to, to lock us in, to doom us. We have to believe it. God calls us forth. God calls us out to put on His robes of righteousness. And then the last thing, the last trap. Remember that that he led him out of the prison to the city, to the people, that we might let our lights shine, that we might be the light of the glorious gospel, whatever that means. And that the strength and the power is within us. The biggest danger of all is that once we get out and we are free and we are 
I remember when I first got saved, on the side of the road, I cried out to God, I poured out my beer. Instantly and supernaturally and sovereignly, he took half of my vocabulary with me. It was gone. I couldn't even express myself. I had no adjectives or adverbs that were adequate to express myself. I had to learn how to speak all over again. But what I noticed was there's a problem. That the church, the institutional church, tries to conform you to be like them. You have to look like them. You have to act like them. You have to be like them. And you start feeling uncomfortable when you're with those sinners. You start, you start feeling uncomfortable when they're drinking their beers or they're doing stuff. You don't want to be around them anymore. You want to put on your little Christian robes and you want to be in your little church. <laughs> I don't think that's God's intention. And there's a danger along with that. Another danger of the church is that they make the whole gospel about you. The whole gospel about you, about your prosperity, about your health, about how the steps of prosperity, the, the, the whole thing's about you. I'm not signing people up for prosperity, folks. I want you to die. And I'm telling you, you will. You will die. I promise you. But I tell you what. When you get to heaven, you will wish you didn't think about your own prosperity and your own health. If I, if I get cancer, I'm going to be preaching to everybody I know that's got cancer. I'm going to be going through the cancer ward. I'm going to be telling them all the way to the, my own funeral. I'm going to do my own video for my funeral and say, cheer up. Cheer up. I'm going to glory. I'm going to glory and I'm here to encourage you. To run the race and fight the fight. Because when you get to eternity, it's over. We can never go back and live for him again in this world. Amen? I think we're about done with time. But I want you to know that God believes in you. I know that he does. He gave me this message for you. I know that he believes in you. He is calling you out. Whatever that means. So, go.